Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're here to break down the Blue Jays' top 10 prospects today. And to do that, we are joined by the esteemed Ben Badler. Ben has done the Blue Jays' system for a while now. He started doing them when they were kind of on the rise with some of these prospects. Vlad Jr., Bo Bichette, uh, Alec Manoa came along as a draft pick. And those guys have now graduated to the major leagues and, and helped the Blue Jays become a 91-win team. Ben, you've kind of been here from the start, if you will, of this rise of the Blue Jays, they reached back-to-back ALCSs in 2015-2016, took a step back, and, and really reloaded. And now they're one of the more exciting young teams in the American League. Uh, they've added a lot of prominent free agents around that core. Uh, George Springer, obviously, before last season. They went out and signed Kevin Gossman this year. Where do you kind of see the Blue Jays organization as a whole, and what do you make of this rise and this climb and, and how they got here? Yeah, I, I think this is one of the most dangerous teams to watch in baseball over the next half decade. I think they had a pretty clear plan in place to build through the farm system and and in particular build around their young hitters. And then when the time was right to, to supplement that homegrown talent with free agent signings that, that you mentioned, Um, you know, obviously George Springer, you know, Marcus Simeon no no longer there, but that was a a big addition for them. Um, you know, at, you know, and then using using some of those prospects in in trades, Austin Martin, Simeon Woods Richardson. Um, you know, sending some of that. You know, what was one of the top five farm systems in baseball, and uh, obviously a lot of that talent has graduated, but they've used some of those players too in trades to to help the big league team right now and i think it's it's a pretty open window over this you know this upcoming five or so years when you have this lineup built around vlad jr and and bo bichette and you know gabriel moreno now is is coming up and, and lourdes guriel and all these other hitters who are you know, the, you know these guys who are in their 20s still entering the the primes of of their career i mean i don't know how much better <laughs> vlad jr is going to be compared to what he did in, in 2021. But, um, you know, I think you have two guys you can plug into the middle of your lineup and, and be perennial all-star. Um, and, and I think in Vlad's case, you know, perennial MVP candidate. So now, now the, you know, the lineup has been, you know, in, in a good spot and, and the, the, the pitching I think is getting 
better, obviously graduating Manoa has, has helped. I, I think Pearson is, is a big wild card there, but I, I think even where, you know, maybe, maybe a couple of years ago where you were really counting on uh, or, or really counting on Nate Pearson to be an anchor of the rotation, even if he doesn't, there's, there's a lot more talent in place there now to, um, you know, to carry that rotation, even if he, you know, doesn't end up panning out. So I, I think this is going to be one of the most dangerous teams to, to watch in, uh, in the American League over, over the next few years. Yeah, over the last three or four years, they've graduated Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Lourdes Gurriel, Teoscar Hernandez, who they acquired as a prospect. We mentioned Alec Manoa, even guys like Jordan Romano. That's a homegrown player development success story. The free agent signs you talked about, Semien, Springer, Hunjin Ryu. And another thing the Blue Jays have done that I think has been kind of a credit to them, acquiring some pitchers who were going through some issues, were not their best selves, uh, specifically Robbie Ray and Steven Matz, and got them back into prime form. Robbie Ray became a Cy Young Award winner. Obviously, he left for the Mariners in free agency this year, but they've really done it through all avenues. And then, of course, acquiring Jose Barrios this year was a big addition, signed him to an extension. With all of the graduations and the prospects they've traded to go get a lot of these guys, the farm system has fallen. Again, it's not a problem. It's fallen for the right reasons. How would you assess the state of the farm system right now, just given, again, so many graduations and so many guys moved in trades to help improve the big league club? Yeah, I'd say it's probably more middle tier right now, where before you had a lot more a lot more depth in in the system and 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 more volume of you know top 100 guys i think at one point they had maybe seven or, or even eight guys who were top 100 prospects right now you you don't have that um again in part because those guys were uh vlad jr and bo Bichette and and manoa and uh alejandro kirk and, and these guys who've graduated uh, or, or like we talked about, since been traded for uh, for Jose Barrios with, with Martin and, and Woods Richardson. But, um, you know, you, you still have an impact guy at the top in Gabriel Moreno. I, I think there's an argument he's, after Adley Rushman, the best catching prospect in baseball. And that's that, I think that's saying something right now because I think the catching in the minors right now is is really, really at a high level right now. Um, but I, I think he's comfortably a top 20 overall prospect in in baseball you could argue him being in the in the top 10 too um so it's it's still strong at the top there's you know a couple other guys i could see being or a few other guys i could see being top 100 prospects but it's you know after that you, you can see the the fall off in in the system especially as you get you know toward the back of of the top 10 it's it's not as strong as as it was you know a year two years ago uh, but it's it's just more of a a middle tier system, but still, you know, s- several guys you could see developing into you know average to to above average big leaguers. Yeah, again, anytime a team drops from a top five farm system to you know middle tier, people kind of freak out a little bit. It's like no this is a good thing because you'd rather have these guys in the majors helping you win 91 games and still kind of kicking around the farm system. It's, it's okay. And it's just a matter of, okay, you know, they graduated, they've done everything right, trading some guys and now it's just time to backfill it. Uh, But as you mentioned, there is still some potential impact talent in here. You mentioned Gabriel Moreno, the Blue Jays have had a couple of catching prospects who have been in the BA top 100 in recent years, Danny Jansen, Alejandro Kirk, the main two, 
Both of them have not quite established themselves as the Blue Jays' capture of the future moving forward. Jansen has struggled at the plate. Kirk hasn't had a full season really yet, so it's, it's hard to judge him fully right now. But at the same time, this is a position that if you're the Blue Jays, you have options, but you want a guy to step up. Uh, Reese McGuire, he actually had the most played appearances of any Blue Jays catcher. Does Gabriel Moreno project to be better than Jansen and Kirk and be that guy who is the bona fide everyday big league starter? And, and what is it that separates him? Yeah, the the feedback on Moreno this year was was just uh, pretty. It was pretty loud in terms of consistently loud praise from everybody who who saw him this year. And not that he was on the field a lot. Obviously, he he missed a lot of the season with the with the broken thumb injury and, and had surgery but he came back and played in the fall league and again there just just everybody who sees him raves about him I mean I love I love Alejandro Kirk obviously I'm a big Alejandro Kirk fan I'm a big believer in in his bat and I think he can you know be a really good big league player but just all around talent I, I expect Moreno to to step in and and seize that you know, regular catching job for the Blue Jays. I mean, if it's offensively, defensively, just everything about him earned earned a lot of praise this year. It's it's a really it's a really good swing. It's it, he puts the bat to the ball a lot. It, it is an aggressive approach, but I, I think it became more selective this this season. Um, he's he's always had a really good knack for putting the bat to the ball, very good hand-eye coordination, uh, and, and a good athlete, which I think has helped him make some adjustments to with his swing over over the last few years, whereas when he, you know, started his career when the Blue Jays signed him, he was, you know, just content to put the ball in play. Uh, didn't have a lot of strength behind his swing, but, you know, pitch would be in the zone or, or even out of the zone. He could put the bat to the ball uh, and, and make contact and, um, now over time, he's he's evolved his swing where he's got some more dynamic movements in there to be able to drive the ball with with more impact, especially as he's gotten stronger. And you're seeing him become uh, just a, a more complete and, and more dangerous hitter. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to be a you know a forty home run type guy. I don't. I think it's going to be more more hit over power. But there there is a a balance of of hitting ability and power there. And then, and then defensively too, just everything was, was really positive about him. I, I think he's made uh, significant progress with his, his blocking and, and his receiving, you know, he was getting pop times into the, you know, low one nines, even a touch below that at times uh, did a really good job of controlling the running game. He's, he's always been a really good athlete for, for a catcher. Again, I, I think that's something that's, that's helped him out and, now he's just, you know, I, I think he's just one of the most about as well-rounded of a catcher as as you can hope for outside of uh, outside of an Adley Rushman. 
Yeah, one of the things that jumped out to me is as we did our tool grades after your discussions with evaluators, both inside and outside the system and, and looking at some statistical analysis, you went ahead and put a 70 on his hit. And uh, obviously 70 hitters are, are very, very rare in the major leagues. And they're very, very rare for catchers, specifically in the major leagues. At the same time, you look at his track record. He's hit 308 in his career in the minors. He just hit 367. Um, a lot of that was in double A this year. Now, it was only 37 games. He suffered a broken Thumb that required surgery and, and he missed a lot of time. So seeing how he holds up over a full season and how he does facing the league second, third time, how they adjust and how he adjusts back, that is something that he still needs to prove just because, again, he hasn't had the opportunity to show that yet in the upper levels. But at the same time, I mean, the, the track record is impressive in the Arizona Fall League went out, was one of the better players there across the board. I was there the last week and he was struggling a little bit the last week, but the overall performance was still pretty impressive. It's just so hard to be a plus-plus hitter anyway, but especially as a catcher. What is it about him that separates him and, and gives him the ability to do that? Yeah, I mean, look, he, he may end up not achieving that level, but I think the just the the pure bat-to-ball skills that he has are are extremely high. I mean, it's, it's different than a, a Kirk-type hitter, um, but it's that, that, that innate feel for for the barrel is there. He's got really good hand-eye coordination. It, it doesn't matter, you know, fastball, breaking ball. He can, he can square up all different types of, of pitches. Um, you know, if guys are, you know, guys are especially attacking and now attacking now just in general with, you know, fastballs with carry at the top of the zone. And uh, I think he does a really good job of, of keeping his swing, on plane to be able to to make contact and, and do damage with those kind of pitches and and he's you know he uses the whole field he's he's gotten stronger so there's some more more power now behind his swing that that wasn't there earlier on in in his career so yeah like you said catching can can take a toll on a player's body and and, and offensive performance sometimes so there's certainly some some risk to him being a a plus plus hitter but I think he just he has the he has the the swing the quickness in his swing the 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 bat to ball skills uh, and and the strength to to drive the ball with you know not plus power but to drive the ball with some impact and and do some damage to uh, you know to be one of the one of the better hitters in the league yeah, I think the one thing I'm going to be watching is when I was out there in the fall league, that final week of the season, it looked like the scouting report on him had gotten out a little bit, and he was chasing a lot of hard sliders down and away repeatedly. So I know for me, that's going to be something I'm going to be watching specifically next year. But at the same time, there's no question. This is a young hitter who's still developing, and you see all the tools. And if he just learns to lay off some of those, it's very, very easy to see him becoming as you mentioned, an offensive force who's also a pretty good athlete behind the plate, and that's a rare commodity in today's game. Ben, Moreno was pretty clearly the number one prospect in the system. As you mentioned, mm -hmm. there's an argument he's one of the top ten prospects in all of baseball. Nate Pearson at number two is someone who has ranked number one in the system before. No one has ever questioned his ability to throw a baseball very, very hard. He has struggled staying healthy. Some of it's been fluke injuries. Other times it's been injuries that are a little bit concerning. He showed the ability to consistently throw strikes at times in the minors. He has struggled to do that in the major leagues. 
you know, you go back a couple of years, if you said Nate Pearson's still going to be prospect eligible going into the 2022 season, that might've surprised a few people, but here is where we are. What are the current assessments of Nate Pearson and, and what is his future at this point? What is his future? That's, that's a, that's a tough question just because there's so many different ways. It seems like he could go right now. It's, it, it sucked this year. Cause he just, Again, more more issues staying healthy, just staying on the field. Um, you know, he, he had that one start in back in May, uh, I believe it was against the Astros, where he just he, he was just got he was just a mess. He was walking everybody, sent him down to triple A, missed a ton of time, just just not being healthy. When he came back in September, they had him pitching in relief, and he was pretty good then. Um, still needs to improve his control, improve his command in particular. Uh, but he, like you said, has a, a power arm, was, was striking out a lot of players. It's, it's pretty big stuff. I mean, up to, up to 102, he's pretty regularly sitting mid-90s to, to 100 miles an hour. Uh, and his, his slider is, is, can be a plus pitch when he's on. Um, but at this point, he's also, what, 25 years old he'll be he'll be 26 by the end of the year next year he does not have a track record that suggests any type of durability some of which has been fluke stuff some of which has not been um but how many you know how, how much confidence do you have that he can handle that that starter's workload at a big league level that to me is is the the big risk factor with him where he might end up being a reliever, but at the same time, if he does end up being a reliever, he has the, he has the stuff to be one of the best relievers in the game. So there's, there's a lot of different ways he can go. And, and, and again, he still has to really dial in his command. This is not a 21 year old, uh, you know, college pick. We're talking about out of the draft where, where we have time to, you know, wait on some improvements with him. It's, it's gotta be there right now. Right. So uh, I, I think there's a lot of different ways you can go with, with a fair amount of upside, but also still a lot of risk and a lot of, uh, you know, it's, it's frustrating that he's still in, in the prospect handbook, obviously still at, at this point. Yeah. There's going to be an opportunity potentially uh, the Blue Jays rotation right now lines up Jose Barrios, Kevin Gossman, Hunjin Ryu, Alec Manoa is the top four. And, and you know, those guys have their spots locked in Ross Stripling at the number five spot. He's definitely shown some good things at other times. He's, he's struggled and some of his limitations have shown up. So if Nate Pearson can stay healthy and, and go out and show some things he showed that made him at one point, uh, one of the best pitching prospects in all of baseball and stay healthy, you know, it's not completely crazy to see a scenario where he can come up next year and, and help in the rotation. And again, I think the fact that the Blue Jays don't need him to be a number one or two starter, if he just goes out and gives them five good innings and is a solid fifth starter, they'll be in great shape. At the same time, you can also see, hey, maybe the control doesn't come around, but you see the stuff. I mean, he's had some dominant, dominant outings in relief. I still think back to the 2020 wildcard series against the Rays where he went out and two innings, five punch outs, and it was absolutely lights out. You know what? If you compare that with Jordan Romano at the back of a very good bullpen, there's still a lot of value in that. So I think that there's definitely avenues for Nate Pearson to be a 
positive contributor to the Blue Jays. It's just a matter of what that avenue is. And um, to me, it's actually going to be one of the more interesting subplots of the Blue Jays 2022 season, just from a prospect's perspective, which direction Nate Pearson starts to go. Because I do think, as you mentioned, he'll be 26 this coming year. This is a point where you kind of want to get him on a track and say, this is what you can do to help the big league team, as opposed to kind of being stuck in the middle. Yeah, it's, it seems unusual to say for somebody who's, you know, 25 that there is this wide range of outcomes, it seems like, for him. Usually we think about that with younger players who are at the, the lower levels, but with Pierce. And again, like 2020, it's not his fault. He didn't play in 2020. Some of the injuries have, you know, been, you know, pretty, you know out of his control or, or, or just, you know, more flukish type of stuff. But it's, it's, it's a player with, uh, you know, obviously, you know, a lot of talent, certainly in terms of just the, the raw stuff coming out of his arm, but the, the control and, and the durability are, are pretty big risk factors with him still. So Ben, as you were putting together this top 10, we mentioned Moreno's the clear-cut number one. Pearson, there's an interesting debate about him and what he's going to be. Was Pearson the clear-cut number two? And, and how did this next group of guys, this you know, three, four, five, and beyond group, line up behind Moreno? Yeah, I wouldn't say, I don't, I don't know that Pearson was a clear cut number two. Again, I don't know if there's anything clear cut with Pearson <laughs> at all, just as like we've talked about, but um, you know, I, I think you could certainly make a case for or Elvis Martinez being ahead of him. I mean, if, if you're really, really down on Pearson, like, you know, if, if you see him as somebody who has no chance to start and you're really skeptical of him, even developing, the command to to be a you know an impact high leverage type reliever you could argue Jordan Groshans ahead of him I mean Gunnar Hogland I'd, I'd probably have a harder time jumping over Pearson at this point I mean he has his own durability risks obviously coming off of Tommy John surgery their their first round pick out of out of Mississippi in 2021 so um, you know there's there's I, I think it was kind of a clear top I would say maybe who, at least who belongs in that top five, six type guys. Uh, but I, I think you could argue, you know, the the order of, of those guys in, in different ways. Martinez is someone who was a very, very high profile international signing a few years ago. Got his way up to full season ball this year. I was really good at low A. I struggled a little bit at high, but that's not abnormal for young players in their first full seasons. But I actually want to hit on Jordan Groshans because this is another player who pretty quickly was rising up into the ranks of the top 100 based off his pro debut. And since then, he's been sidelined by injuries and just hasn't quite been able to get untracked. What is his status now and how is he seen by evaluators both inside and outside the Blue Jays organization? Yeah, I think there was a lot of excitement about him after he signed that, that debut in the Gulf Coast League and then when he went to the Midwest League, uh, again, for a very brief stint because he had that foot injury, so he really didn't play much after, I think it was after May that year. So, uh, And then obviously 2020 was what it was, so he came in this year. that The Blue Jays did push him pretty aggressively to AA. I was a little surprised they they moved him that that fast I mean it's is not a guy with much experience at all at the you know at low a and you know basically skipped high so um so you're sending him to double a as a 21 year old 
um, you know, I think he, he held his own there. You saw some things to like, but I don't know. It, it's, it's hard to find a, a scout who's like, oh, like, I love Jordan Groshans. Like, you, you just don't get that, that feedback from him where you, you can find guys who, who feel that way about uh, or Elvis Martinez. Um, you know, with, with Groshans, he's, you know, he's played some shortstop. Uh, he's, he's really going to be a third baseman long-term. Um, I think he, you know, he made some improvements defensively as a strong arm, but it's, you know, his, his range and his actions are really better suited toward uh, third base than, than shortstop, which is not a surprise. We've, we've kind of always, you know, seen him that way. I think that's always been the consensus defensively on him. Uh, but offensively, I, I think what you want to see is just some more, some more impact driving the ball for more damage on contact, some, some more power with him that uh, it seemed like he was flashing earlier on in his career. Uh, he made some, you know, some, some adjustments with his swing. He, he had some bigger, more dynamic type, uh, not out of, not out of control, but maybe sometimes actually uh, out of control movements with his swing. So he kind of condensed those to, to a certain degree and, and you still see a lot of contact with him, but he, you haven't seen the power that you would like to see from a player who's, who's going to be a, a third baseman long-term. So again, you, you see things that, that you like with his, his ability to, to square the ball up pretty consistently. Uh, he has a pretty good idea of, of the plate. He, he uses the whole field, uh, but you do want to see, more power from him to, you know, to project him as, you know, to project him as an impact guy. The big thing with him too is health, as you mentioned, really, really good debut in 2018, 2019 only got into 23 games before he suffered a foot injury that ended his season. Obviously didn't get a chance to play during 2020 with the canceled minor league season, although he was pretty good at the alternate training site. And even this year, he only played in 75 games. He missed some time earlier in the year with back soreness. And then he also was on the injured list for pretty much all of September. So getting him on the field consistently is a big part of that. Um, He's another guy that I I think we've seen the talent, but staying on the field, putting it together for a full season, which is no small thing, is, is something we do need to see him do. And that is one thing that interests me a little bit. Interest might be the wrong word, but it's one thing that I do think is worth noting uh, as we talk about this top group, the Blue Jays, there's a lot of talent. But Moreno, again, was limited to 37 games this year. Pierce, we've talked about his injuries. Groshans has not had a chance to play more than 75 games in any season on his part. So we have a lot of guys who have flashed it, but showing they can do it over a full season – this haven't in a lot of cases had the chance to and that's something to me that's just gonna be worth watching is how these guys maintain because it's a different animal altogether doing it over a full season and we just haven't had a chance to see it with a lot of these guys yeah and it's uh you know you're adding Gunnar Hodlin now into the <laughs> into the mix so it's even um you know more guys who've had trouble staying on the field but yeah certainly the you can see it in the in the flashes when when they are there All right, Ben, we're going to dive into the back of the system because there is some interesting depth here. Uh, But first, we're going to take a quick break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we're back with Ben Badler breaking down the Blue Jays farm system. Ben, we've talked about the top of this system. Some familiar names, again, guys like Gabriel Moreno, Nate Pearson, who are top 100 guys currently, Rolfus Martinez and Jordan Groshans, who have made appearances in the top 100, Gunnar Hogland, a first-round pick from a prominent college program. Once you get into the back of this list, though, you start getting into some guys who are more interesting, maybe lesser known, younger guys, the lower levels, or some guys who have had some ups and downs, newer draft picks. It's kind of an interesting collection of different types of players. Take us through this group and and really how many guys were in the mixer? Because I feel like the top five were fairly clearly the top five. Of the six to 10 group, how many different guys were in the mix for these five spots? And ultimately, how did it kind of all shake out? I think the the six to 10, you know, again, you can argue different orders for some of those guys, but I, I thought the players who belonged there sort of separated themselves. Um, not because it's all right. Well, these guys are obvious, you know, all of them will be top 10 guys in, in any farm system, but maybe more just cause it, it seems to drop off quite a bit after, you know, after you get out of the, the top 10, um, you know, I, I think there's some really interesting international players that, at the lower levels, um, you know, guys like a Steven Machado, Semra Burst, uh, you know, when, when you go down even deeper into some of the, the guys who were in the, you know, the Dominican Summer League for them last year, obviously Manuel Beltre is the, um, you know, the, the top guy from, from that group. So they, they have some interesting, you know, players coming over from there and, and you have some, you know, guys who've been at the upper levels, like the Samad Taylor, Spencer Horowitz, guys who I think will play in the big leagues, but I'm not totally sure what type of role they're going to have if, if they're going to be everyday guys. So, um, you know, they have a mix of those guys, but the kind of the 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 line for 
where you can project guys comfortably developing into everyday regulars fell out, you know, with the exception of some of the lower level guys like, like the Latin American players I mentioned, or, or you know, an Irv Carter who they got uh, out of the draft, you know, or to be a, you know, a, you know, a back of the rotation starter or, or better where, you know, obviously those guys have a lot more upside, but a lot more risk. Uh, I thought it fell off, uh, you know, pretty comfortably after those, that, that group of the, the top 10 or so. Yeah. Kevin Smith is an interesting guy. He was someone that came out and had a very, very loud pro debut, then really, really struggled, but kind of rebounded in 2021, made his major league debut. What do the Blue Jays have there? Realistically, what does he project to do for them moving forward? Yeah, he, man, he, he was about as 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 bad as he as it can get in 2019. Um, it was it was just a a nightmare, which was too bad because he, you know, they drafted him out of Maryland in in 2017, and and everything looked pretty good in 2018. But after 2019, he just he's just striking out all the time, and it, he was making all these swing adjustments, and it didn't seem to help at all if, if anything it just seemed to make it worse he was constantly tinkering with his swing and then 2020 he was at the alternate site and you know it's, it's hard to say exactly what happened there but you know just the reports out of there was like yeah like it wasn't much better <laughs> than what 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 we saw in 2019 but um this this past year was was really a, a i would say a pleasant surprise i didn't know what to right i should say i didn't have very high expectations going into it uh, for him, but he he had a really really strong year. Um, he, he made again some some different adjustments this time uh, with his with his swing, with his setup, uh, with what he was doing with his hands. Uh, I think it led to some more some more quickness and and more effectiveness with his with his swing. You know, at, at this point, long term, it's it's just been such a an unusual career arc. I, I want to believe that. What he what we saw in 2021 was was a real Kevin Smith, but I'm I'm not quite comfortable projecting him being this you know an everyday type guy yet at at the big league level. I, I think there's some obviously some upside for him to do that, but he's just been you know such an such an unusual career arc so far. Um, you know, he's 25 turning 26 next year. It's, it, he's got to step in and do it pretty quickly now. So, um, you know, I, I think there's a chance he can do that and, and, you know, he can handle, he can handle shortstop comfortably too. Uh, obviously move around. He's, you know, I don't think he's going to do that in, in Toronto with Bo Bichette there. So he's probably gonna have to, you know, move around the field a bit or, or maybe move to a different organization to get that opportunity. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm still skeptical. He, he is that everyday guy, but I, I think there is a path for him to, uh, to do that. One of the more interesting guys at the back of this list is Ricky Tiedemann. Uh, I saw a lot of him when he was at Lakewood High School. A lot of teams liked him in the 2020 draft out of high school. Just his bonus demands with the shortened five-round draft. No one was quite able to pull the trigger, but went back this year instead of going to San Diego State, went to a local junior college out here in Southern California and really, really showed some promising things. The performance was uneven at times, but you saw the talent, you saw the ability and was a third round pick this year by the Blue Jays. And 
he's interesting because he's very, very young. He's younger even than some of the players in this year's high school class, even though he was at junior college. Big physical lefty projection you can see coming just in terms of his stuff's going to tick up. But the general thought was it would take a few years just because he's very young. He's still growing. He's mostly been 88 to 92, 89, 92, flash you an occasional three or four. But again, it was a, hey, good stuff now. He's going to grow into more in the future. It's, it's a longer term projection play. Blue Jays took him and signed him and he's coming out and he's throwing the upper 90s now. 94 to 98 in short bursts. The velocity gains that they came isn't the surprise people expected that, but it's that they came so quickly. And all of a sudden, there's a sense the Blue Jays might have gotten a steal here in the third round. What were you hearing on Ricky Tiedemann and and what led to this kind of fulfilling of the projection happening quicker than anyone expected? Yeah, like you said, the reports after he signed was 94-98, and I was like... I was like, are we talking about the same player? <laughs> I was like, we're talking about Ricky Tiedemann, right? Like he's pretty consistently, you know, upper 80s to low 90s, topping at 94 in in junior college right before the draft this year. What do you mean he's 94 to, to 98? So they're like, no, 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 that's <laughs> that's what we saw. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's what he, our, our reports on him coming out of college were accurate. I mean, that's what he was. He just made this pretty quick and very significant jump in velocity of about four miles an hour of top end velocity after he signed. Now, sometimes I get a little scared when, when it's that fast of a jump in, in case it's some sort of, you know, mechanical change where, where a player is just generating more velocity, but putting more stress on his elbow. So I, you know, I, I hope, hopefully he can, hopefully that's not an issue with him and, and obviously this, you know, the jump in velocity came in him throwing in, you know, in, in shorter stints, but it's, you know, we're seeing 98 now where we were seeing up to 94 before it's, it's a pretty significant jump, uh, you know, inconsistent, you know, performance during, during the spring. Uh, but it's, you know, he, he's also, a you know, he, he has a really good changeup and he is a, a very, very good athlete too. So um, I could see, I could see him going out next season and being, you know, seeing him ranked toward the back of the top 10, looking, looking very conservative too, right? Like he, he, it's, it's hard to know how much to adjust for this newfound jump in velocity without any, you know, real performance in pro ball to go with it, like how, how much to adjust where, where we would have him ranked because of it. So uh, I think if he goes out next year, stays healthy, we could see him being one of the, one of the big risers up this list. Like if, if, if the draft happened again, if they redrafted again today, he's not going in the third round. I don't think <laughs> he's going higher than that. Yeah. I'll be interested to see it again. That 94, 98 was in shorter bursts, seeing what he's able to do over longer outings where he's throwing six innings and, you know, over the course of a long season can be a bit of a different animal, but just seeing those velocity gains materialize years ahead of expected is is certainly an intriguing thing. Ben, who else was in the mix for this top 10 group? You said that there weren't too many guys where you felt comfortable projecting an everyday kind of role, but as you mentioned, even in the back of this top 10, there are guys who could end up being more of a reserve utility roles. How many other guys were in the mix here for the top 10? And you could, again, you could 
maybe not necessarily top 10, but at least like maybe who, who I wanted to put number 11. <laughs> like there was a wide range of guys for, for that. I mean, the guy, the guy I kind of want to be the most aggressive on, but is hardest to justify, I think, at, at this point is a Steven Machado, who's a, a shortstop. The Blue Jays signed out of Venezuela in 2019. I think he's one of the most exciting players from that class, but obviously he did not play in 2020. And then in 2021, he, you know, Looked good before the season, but then the, the what is it now, the Florida Complex League started up and uh, got one plate appearance and then didn't play the rest of the year just because he had something like some really bad hamstring issues with him. So it's hard to take a player who has one official plate appearance over two years since signing and and be too aggressive with him. But, you know, when – when he's healthy, I mean, you have a switch hitting, really athletic shortstop who consistently puts together good at bats, has a pretty good idea of the strike zone from from what we have seen so far. It's it's a good swing, pretty good contact skills. Uh, there's bat speed to to project more power, even though he's not the the biggest guy, but uh, runs well. I think he's got a, a pretty good chance to stay at shortstop. So there's a lot of things to like. I could see him jumping way up this list next year if he stays healthy, uh, or I could see him going out and, and struggling and saying, oh, well, maybe it's, you know, not as, uh, you know, maybe the bat is not as far along as, as we were thinking and, and he sinks down this list. So it's, it's hard to, you know, justify him maybe going ahead of a guy like, you know, like a Manuel Beltre uh, for, you know, another young Latin American shortstop in the system who uh, has gone out and, you know, has, you know, some more recent performance, e- even though the performance was not that strong, maybe for, for, for Beltre, at least on, on the surface, but you no, know, it'd be hard to justify, I think running Machado too high up the list, but um, you know, then at the other end of the things, you have a guy like Samad Taylor, who, you know, wasn't even, protected on the on the 40-man roster after the season and based on who who the Blue Jays have on on the 40 or did put on the 40-man and and some of the other options they have um, you know I, I can understand why but um, there's a lot of teams or, or there are certain teams I think that are you know quite high <laughs> on on Samad Taylor he's he's athletic uh, he can you know really really run he's a he's a 70 runner um, there's, there's a lot of bat speed there. He, he made some adjustments to his swing where, um, you know, he's still striking out a lot. I think that's, that's a big concern, but he did perform and, and the adjustments I think really helped him tap into power that you didn't see before. So, um, you know, I, I don't think he's really a shortstop long term. I, I think it's more, you know, second base, you know, play some, play some center field, certainly the speed for the, for, for that position, you know, could go to third, could move around the field, uh, you know, uh, a versatile player, but somebody who probably isn't going to be a, a, a shortstop, uh, at least, you know, unless it's a, you know, an emergency type thing, most likely. So, um, yeah, some, some interesting guys, but I think it kind of falls off after that 10 where um, a lot of different range, ranges of, uh, or, or a lot of different players you could look at for that, 
you know, 11 to 15 or, or even 11 to 20 type of guys. Yeah, you know, it's funny with Simon Taylor at my previous job before BA hired me, uh, he was in high school in my coverage area. So I remember watching oh, yeah. Simon Taylor as a freshman at Corona Centennial High School, freshman second baseman. And then uh, he eventually transferred and ended up at Corona High School by the time he was a senior. But uh, yeah, it's crazy. I remember watching him and he was a small, speedy second base, middle infield type, smaller, skinnier guy and put the ball in the ground and run. If you had told me he'd be hitting 16 home runs in the upper levels of the minor leagues, I would have been a little skeptical. Even look at his headshot now. It's like, wow he really filled out. You just see it in his face and his shoulders because he was, again, small, skinny, little middle infielder. And now seeing him have the success he is, especially on the power side, it's been cool to see. I'm not surprised by the stolen bases. I'm not surprised by the ability to put the bat on the ball, but uh, I did not expect 16 homers out of him. So seeing him become what he's become is, is certainly interesting. Ben, thank you so much for breaking down the system for us today. Any final thoughts on where they are? Yeah, I mean, I think they've they had a good plan in place to build through homegrown talent and and they've done that and they've had a lot of graduations and and used a lot of those prospects in trades too and i I think it's it's been a good plan a a good process and good execution (laughs) of that too so um yeah it's you know the, the farm system i think now is more more middle tier it doesn't stand out to me as you know one of the best it's it's not one of the worst certainly by by any means either. So there's still some uh, potential impact guys there at the top. It's just more of a middle tier type system, which is exactly what you would, uh, I think, expect at this point. Yeah, we'll be interesting to see moving forward just how they kind of backfill it. And as we mentioned, we'll be watching them closely in the major leagues. They're one of the most exciting teams out there right now. Ben, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate your insight as always. Absolutely. Great to talk to you, Kyle. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another edition of the BA Prospects podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Ben Bowder, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.